The Way of the Sith is the rule of two, but what is it exactly? And how does Star Wars make use of this rule throughout the films and shows? Does the rule of two apply just to the Sith? What does the idea of two represent? Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this episode where we're talking all about the rule of two and what it means in Star Wars and what Woo-hoo. two means in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> First, we started with hands, our language, and now we're getting down to numbers. That's just how we roll here. It's just kind of how it goes. And just like Star Wars, we're not going sequentially. So we didn't start with what is the meaning of the number one in Star Wars. We skipped ahead to two. (laughs) This whole idea really came from watching Return of the Jedi. This past weekend, Caitlin was here in Boston, and she took like a super late flight. And one of the last things we did, we watched Return of the Jedi. And honestly, Caitlin, when was the last time we watched Return of the Jedi? We were just talking about it. It was a long time. And guys, that movie is so good. (laughs) Oh my God, it's perfect. It's so good. (laughs) Return of the Jedi is amazing. It gave me so much food for thought about Anakin and Luke's relationship and the parallels of Return of the Jedi with what we've already seen in the sequel trilogy. Guys, so good. Absolutely. And like, we're now days away, only days, it's insane, away from The Mandalorian, which takes place right after Return of the Jedi. So it just felt kind of like perfect that we would watch it then. And we didn't even really think about it. We were like, oh, yeah, Return of the Jedi, you know, redemption. So that's why we put it on. But <laughs> We're <laughs> and so I, easy. We are very predictable. <laughs> and I think that, like, obviously we watched it and we were like, yes, that. But I don't know. I think it was also interesting to see the Emperor because I guess this is the last time canonically that we have saw the Emperor in terms of the films. Timeline. So, Timeline wise, yeah, in the films, not Rebel, you know, you know, and I think that it's just really interesting. I I <laughs> highly recommend. You know, I just don't think, and this is like a radical statement. I don't think Star Wars fans watch Star Wars enough. See, but we've talked about this before, and like I know that because, and I don't know if I think that's true because I know a lot of people who they just keep Star Wars on on a loop, like all yeah, the time in their. That's true lives and I'm not one of those people like I I enjoy spacing out viewing the films because I don't know for me it just like it feels new like noticing new things like I feel like this time of watching Return of the Jedi the scene where Luke surrenders it was like I was watching it for the first time I feel like I was picking up on so much and for me I really like that part of it some people though like to I feel like it's kind of half and half either you're watching them every day or watching them like once every two to three months is a different one (laughs) Right. I don't know. I feel like I put them on a lot. I I watch The Last Jedi all the time. (laughs) And I I think it's just because it's like it's super easy for me to put it on. I don't know where uh, Revenge of the Sith is like a lot for me to put on. But I just think that like I know I have a lot of my friends and a lot of your friends too, Caitlin, who hardly watch Star Wars the films that much unless they like have to for a podcast or like they're sitting down and watching it because it's been a while or like oh. they're marathoning before a film that's coming out and it's it's so surprising to me it's surprising to hear that because we are all so invested yet we sometimes like and I think you're right I think a lot of us kind of treat them as this like sacred experience of like spacing it out and letting it like I don't know rest and bringing new eyes to it and I think that's great but I do think that we should all be watching Star Wars more like I haven't seen Attack of the Clones in a really long time 
that was I one think of our should watch that. That was one of our options to watch because we were like, we're either going to watch Attack of the Clones, Return of the Jedi, or Last Jedi, and we picked Return of the Jedi. Yeah. So, and Charlotte and I, we talked about Star Wars so much this weekend, which was like, you'd think we've had enough, but nope, <laughs> we can do it in no. person. <laughs> nope. Yeah. <laughs> and listeners, we did discuss a new Skytalkers machete. For once the sequel trilogy is complete. And I think we've got a really interesting order that we've developed. Um, it, of course, has to... Uh, we have to see how Rise of Skywalker <laughs> actually ends to determine the final lineup. But I actually think it'll be a really interesting marathon. And I'm hoping that the order we kind of talked through at dinner will be a good one to share with all of you. Yeah, I think we cracked the code. I think we did. <laughs> It felt really good. Caitlin wrote it on a napkin yeah. at a restaurant. We were at a restaurant waiting for dumplings. And I was like, sir, I'm going to need a pen. And he brought me a really nice pen. I did steal it afterwards. I'm sorry. But yeah, we. I think I, I'm really – I'm excited about this order. I'm really looking forward to marathoning it in 2020, actually. Yeah, me too. And obviously, we'll document it on the podcast. Oh, so. yeah, definitely. Definitely. So – have that to look forward to as if we don't have enough to look forward to in 2020. <laughs> yeah. It even feels weird. I don't know. Right now I feel like there's so much happening. Like we're really days away from the Mandalorian and um, it, it feels weird to even be sitting down talking about an episode, like uh, talking about a topic that doesn't really necessarily have to do with like the Mandalorian. And I guess I, I don't, I don't doubt us that we're going to get into speculatory nature here <laughs> on the show, but <laughs> it's funny that like, we're not, I don't know, there's so much going on and we're talking about the Seth, you know, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of Star Wars news today. Both Billy Lord and Dave Filoni had articles out today. Uh, Billy Lord wrote one in Time magazine about Carrie and like her life as an actress, Billy Lord's life as an actress. And it was honestly the most so good, the most beautiful thing in the world. Um, I was sitting in my car at lunch crying. And then Dave Filoni was featured in Vanity Fair in an article written by the one and only Anthony Bresnikan. And I cried reading that, too, because <laughs> I was just like, oh, man, I'm so proud of Dave Filoni. <laughs> Wait, Caitlin, you have to mention the the call out to basically us. Oh, yeah. So there's this <laughs> funny part in it where um, – Day, uh, Anthony was writing about how, you know, Davis becomes such a staple in Lucasfilm and he's so popular to the point where people like cosplay him at conventions and stuff. And I was like, yes, <laughs> that is us. <laughs> so good. Yeah. And we saw a lot of other people posting their Dave cosplay. Of course. Too. It was, of course. Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> it was so yeah. fun. It's pretty validating. Yeah, I was like, you've seen our Dave cosplay? I always think about, too, remember we were walking around Celebration and we saw that guy who was dressed as Dave? He was like a spot on, like he looked like Dave Filoni. He looked just like him. He did. It's so crazy. It was really crazy. And he was like, oh my God, can I take a picture with you guys? And we were like, can we take a picture with you? <laughs> it was. I always think about him. I'm like, I wonder how he's doing. I wonder if he read the Vanity Fair article. <laughs> I bet he did. I bet and he I did. bet he's just as so excited for Dave to mm -hmm. take on this mantle of live TV. Yeah, I bet he cried. Live action TV, not live TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it also made me really excited because Kathy was like, Yeah, when Dave said he wanted to do this, we sent him to the Force Awakens set. We sent him with Ryan Johnson. And I'm like, oh my God, so much conversation. This is just fulfilling more of my director head cannons. And <laughs> 
cannot wait <laughs> for more. It's insane. It really is. Yeah. That World Machine Worlds, guys, it's coming for you. Oh, it really is. <laughs> okay. Are you ready to get started? I think so. Okay. So in part, we're going to be talking about the Sith. And in part two, we're going to be looking at the Jedi. In part three, we're going to be talking about symbolism. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? So welcome to part one, where we're talking about the Sith. And I thought that we'd start with talking about and defining what exactly is the rule of two. This episode's all going to be about the rule of two. And for me, it always is something that is so... It's it's an interesting concept that was introduced in The Phantom Menace and something that I think is really twisted. And so before I kind of editorialize, let me get to the definition of it by Wikipedia. The rule of two was the Sith philosophy mandating that only two Sith Lords could exist at any given time, a master to represent the power of the dark side of the force and an apprentice to train under the master and one day fulfill the role. The philosophy of two governed the Lord of the Sith for a millennium, beginning, beginning with its founder, Darth Bane. So in The Phantom Menace, we hear Yoda say, always two there are, no more, no less, a master and apprentice at the end of The Phantom Menace. And that kind of leads us obviously to believe that you know, there's someone else and Palpatine is the Phantom Menace. And I always thought that was interesting because I don't think it was defined as necessarily the rule of two. It feels like that was something that came in perhaps from the EU or reference books or something because it wasn't like named like the rule of two. But it does come up in the Yoda arc that we spent a lot of time <laughs> covering this summer <laughs> um, where Yoda's, you know, Darth Bane appears to Yoda and Yoda says, you created the rule of two. And I thought that I always thought that was interesting. So there it is in canon, discussed as the rule of two created by, by Darth Bane. Caitlin, what are your thoughts on the rule of two? I Something I just have to say as an aside is that isn't it so lucky that Wikipedia exists and it's called Wikipedia and Wikipedia works so well? I mean, it works too well. Star Wars, I feel like really <laughs> one out. <laughs> I know. And it I seriously like does. We don't appreciate that enough. Like, whoever coined Wikipedia, uh, uh, 10 for 10. Amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sorry. I, I don't know why. Like, looking at it in our show notes, I was like, wow, so good. It's perfect. <laughs> so good. Um, I think the rule of two is the rule of two is something that when you hear it and you're like, oh, always two there are, master and apprentice, you're like, yes, got it makes sense and then you actually start thinking about the construct of the rule of two and you're like wait i don't think i get it (laughs) and it's i think it's quite murky and the thing that i always thought about was um malachor and you know how it's like these great battles between the sith and the jedi and i was always like okay what's the timeline here surely there were not two sith at this time taking on hordes of Jedi like there like there was a change like we went from lots of Sith and then presumably a lot of them died and then it became the rule of two and are there different sects of Sith throughout the galaxy I just think that there's so much still that we don't know about like the early times of the Jedi and the Sith for good reason I think um, and we've definitely gotten more pieces of that like with Kevin Scott as uh, Jedi Duke Dooku Jedi lost uh, every time, every time. Uh, <laughs> but I think there's still so much we don't know. And 
I think it's interesting because you think of the rule of two and as hardcore Star Wars fan, we're kind of always drawn into the dark side and the world of the Sith. But as we're going to be talking about throughout this episode, the rule of two, quote unquote, is not just for the Sith. The the pairs, the idea of two of the same twins is something that we see represented in a lot of different ways throughout Star Wars. And what is so special about pairs and masters and apprentices and why can there not be more than one apprentice or more than one mat like, you know so i think the rule of two is something like a lot of things with star wars that seems very cut and dry but then when you actually start looking at it and how it's played out in these different stories and mediums you realize that there's a lot more complexity going on there right i think that this rule of two for the sith like i think this definition didn't really get to the meat of it which is Yes, it says the master represents the power of the dark side of the horse and the apprentice trains under. But the the conceit there is that the apprentice will someday kill the master to take the master's place. So your place is always threatened. And therefore, the idea, I think the Sith sell themselves on compassion and like strength and um, greed. And I think that sometimes, obviously, I think that for some people, some creatures, that is um, alluring. And you can get totally twisted into thinking that that's the way. But as we can see, that this is obviously like such a clear manifestation of how um, reductive I think that this idea of master and apprentices are. The, The idea that in order to gain power, you must kill your master or as a master, you can only go so high because the person that you are paired up with could kill you at any moment to take your place. I mean, that's the whole idea that um, Palpatine gave uh, that long speech in Revenge of the Sith to Anakin to that's meme to death, you know, or have you ever heard of the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise, you know? And I think that it's funny because I do think that's meme to death. And I think for a good reason, because it's kind of funny, but I... I think that sometimes I also think that people aren't really listening to that, where it's uh, Palpatine's talking about himself. And every time that Palpatine gains a new apprentice, I I think that it's fascinating to even consider that that apprentice would someday want to off Palpatine in order to take his place. But Palpatine, the ever the puppet master, would never let that happen, casts people like Darth Maul aside. And he will never be able to get to that spot. And therefore, he lives a life of revenge and of solace. And he'll never be able to get to the top. And so this like this loneliness of being a Sith, there is no partnership here. It is always ending in violence and selfishness. Yeah, I don't even know. It's interesting you use the word loneliness because it's it's not a sympathetic loneliness. It's not like Kylo's loneliness no. or Ray's loneliness or even Anakin's loneliness to a certain degree that we kind of see at the end of Revenge of the Sith before he puts the mask on. It kind of makes me wonder. I'm like, who would want to be a Sith? <laughs> who would want to be in well, a master and apprentice relationship in the Sith knowing that you're going to you're going to be hunted, basically. Um, but I guess that's part of the greed and selfishness. It's assuming that, well, of course I'll come out on top. And it, it just – it it creates such a, a fascinating dynamic because it's like, okay, so, you know, Plagueis took Palpatine on as an apprentice. So how much is Plagueis actually telling Palpatine? Because if Plagueis knows that 
the rule of two exists and that the apprentice will overcome the master, I would not be showing my apprentice every cool trick in the book that I knew because he's going to use it <laughs> against me. So how is that dissemination of knowledge? And, and that in turn makes me wonder again about what the, can, the, the hierarchy and basically the bureaucracy, for lack of a better word, of the Sith looked like before the rule of two. What, what was in place before then? Before Darth Bane started, yeah, that. exactly. Because how is because like like I said, like on Malachor, there's a whole battle between the Jedi and the Sith, and you see all of these like corpses, kind of like um, Mount Vesuvius. Yeah, I don't know why I couldn't think of that. Like it looks like that, right? And so there are all these people there, and it's like, who are these people? Where do they come from? Was I mean, and there are Sith temples. We know there are Sith temples. So two people aren't putting up a Sith temple <laughs> just on their time, on their free time, you know. But then at the same time, these Sith temples, as we saw Ezra and Maul go through them, they only work if you have two people going through them. And they require you to put your trust in someone else to lead you through it's so confusing because there is no trust in a Sith and master, a Sith master and apprentice relationship. But then something. It's really, it's really survival of the fittest. Yeah. Like if, if you're not good enough, then the master's going to kill you. If you're too good, you're going to kill the master. Mm -hmm. And it's a constant battle. There's no agreement between anyone. And that's why the dark side is so possessive and uh, corruptive because. You, there's the promises fall empty because they can't not fall empty, right? Yeah. Because you can't trust, you don't trust your master, and the master cannot trust you. And that's why the the relationship between Palpatine and Anakin is so interesting because I think all Palpatine's life say, okay, so say you want to think that um, Anakin was born of the Force through Plagueis, like that story says, right? Mm -hmm. Influence the midichlorians to create life. Okay, so then the idea is that Palpatine, then once he found out that Anakin existed in The Phantom Menace, the idea was that he would groom Anakin until he could poten like potentially take him as his apprentice. But the whole idea is that they would be able to rule together. But that would that was never going to happen, right? Like <laughs> it can't. It, even even. Vader at the end in Return of the Jedi, like we were just talking about when we were just watching it, I think the whole idea is that like Luke and Vader for for Vader in Empire and in Return of the Jedi, the idea is that Vader will recruit Luke so that they could both off Palpatine in order to rule again as like a a sort of completion of the rule of two, therefore getting rid of nothing, and then that becomes another unhealthy relationship and that's obviously not what Luke wants what Vader like what Vader needs in that moment right yeah it's it's fascinating because Palpatine was using Vader to get to Luke so that Luke could destroy Vader and then become his new apprentice and right there's there's no loyalty yeah at all. no none and Palpatine is always like he's making sure to never He's he's like he's the end all be all of Sith because he knows how to manipulate his apprentices to make them powerful enough but subservient to him as well. He did it with Maul, he did it with Dooku, he did it with Vader. Who's he doing it with now? <laughs> um, right. <laughs> that's, that's the million dollar question. So it's kind of crazy to think that just how 
powerful he really was, how much he manipulated and how many he manipulated and clouded that he didn't ultimately get what he wanted in the end. And not to be corny, but that just goes to show the power of love (laughs) and Mm -hmm. how that was stronger than something or at least nominally stronger than anything Palpatine had been doing for the past, you know, 50 years, however long he'd been Senator of Naboo (laughs) through the events of Return of the Jedi. And again, not to be even more corny, but I think that the something that Palpatine represented for Anakin was like this grandfatherly figure that Anakin can go to as a trusted source. You see in Revenge of the Sith all the times that Anakin runs to Palpatine to tell him things, including what happened when he killed all the sand people on Tatooine, which I think we're led to believe as an audience he doesn't really tell that many people about. And I think that this is like classic grooming behavior of Palpatine kind of exhibiting these traits of grandfatherly love, but that's not really there. There's no partnership, even though that Palpatine kind of exhibits those those traits, those uh, that like outstretched hand almost to help Anakin, because that's never going to happen, even when he puts on the hood after Anakin has killed Mace Windu and like other Jedi and pledged himself to Palpatine. Palpatine goes, and this like kills me every time I see that movie, Palpatine goes, with our combined efforts, I'm sure we can discover the secret. And it's like, oh my God. So he actually doesn't even know, (laughs) you know? And I think that he doesn't even know how to bring Padme back from life or anything, right? God. And I think that it's just like, it's so manipulative that there is this false idea of love there I know that some people are probably listening being like, oh, that's not really true. But I I think it is true. I think that Palpatine is a grandfatherly, fatherly figure to Anakin. And because Palpatine doesn't understand love, he's totally blindsided by it by, in the end because he's used it as a manipulative tool. But Anakin, in his heart, knows love. So obviously him and Luke are able to overcome Palpatine. It's strange, though, because... Palpatine understood just how much Anakin was willing to sacrifice for Padme in the second trilogy. But yes. like Anakin gave up everything to save Padme. And it's strange and it just shows like how comfort I think it's it's not for lack of understanding love. It's that Palpatine had become too complacent. And so he didn't think that that would happen again. And that Vader was that yeah. he had completely pared down Vader, had completely destroyed Anakin, that it wouldn't matter anymore. But it did. So I think I think I might argue that Palpatine understands love extremely well. And I I could speculate that we'll see that in play in The Rise of Skywalker in a new way. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean Palpatine manipulated Anakin's love for Padme and and in a way he's part of the reason why that love became obsession. I think that I think he under I think he understands it, but I don't think he uses it at all. Like he doesn't know oh, he doesn't, the true he power doesn't of love. Feel love. I th- I kind of think he does. But then wouldn't would he have not been like totally blindsided by Vader? He was blindsided, literally blindsided. I think he's going to be totally blindsided by Kylo and Rey. Oh too. yeah, I no, I think he was blindsided. I I just don't know if I think it's fair to say that he doesn't know love. Like he obviously doesn't he doesn't feel love, but he I think he knows its power because that's how he was able mm. I think I think he knows that love is like the ultimate power because that's how he got Anakin and that's been 
the most successful princess he's had to date <laughs> um, compared right. to Maul and Dooku and perhaps whoever else came before. Uh, so I think I think he knows very well the power of love. I think he got comfortable and complacent and 100% was blindsided by Luke. But I think he he assumed that he had driven Anakin out of Vader and Luke saw that that wasn't true. And I do think that he's going to use that knowledge in a new way about love to try and come between Rey and Kylo in The Rise of Skywalker. Interesting. Interesting. Let's talk about whether or not the rule of two is present in the sequel trilogy. I think that when I was trying to think about when we were putting together the notes for this, I was thinking about everything that Snoke is. I don't know. I think that there's this interesting thing going on where I don't I don't think the rule of two is uh, expressed in the sequel trilogy in the same way that it was in the prequels. And that's just the way it's going to be. But I do think that um, there's some sort of like when when Kylo kills Snoke, he is exhibiting what you're supposed to do in the rule of two. Right. The apprentice is supposed to uh, not supposed to, but will kill the master eventually because he becomes too powerful for the master. Mm-hmm. And I think that like that's an act that happened in the the Last Jedi was exhibiting the trait of the rule of two because now he has become the master. But I don't believe Kylo has an apprentice. And I think that like I I hear people already saying, but what about the Knights of Ren? What about the Knights of Ren? Yes, but I also think that Vader had the Inquisitors, which is always interesting because I think the Inquisitors are when they were introduced like how confusing was it do you, do you remember being so confused by the inquisitors being like wait they're force sensitive they're trained in the force but they're not apprentices they're just like groups of like elite teams right yeah. and i think that there's a parallel going on with the knights of ren in that because i think that they were everyone was like oh vader took an apprentice wow and it's like no he didn't he just had the inquisitors well, that's like i mean and i think Stark killer came out um the force unleashed and it was like, oh, that's Vader's yeah. apprentice. And it was like a huge thing. But I mean, that's not canon anymore. Not canon. But yeah. same kind of idea. It's like, how are – so we have a master and apprentice and then the apprentice's troop? Like <laughs> <laughs> barbershop quartet? What, what are these people? <laughs> right. But like I, I don't know if I see – I don't know if there's a place maybe in The Rise of Skywalker for the Knights of Ren turning against Kylo. Um, they could because of what we saw in like the preview for the Kylo Ren comic that's coming out right before the Rise of Skywalker and after just because the, those the, the Knights of Ren were already against Luke and um, and Ben in the training academy. So they were they were already in existence before Kylo became their master. So obviously I'm like heavily interested to see how that happened. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they turned against Kylo. Again, but I don't know if it that necessarily will qualify as a rule of two because there's no partnership going on. There's no master and apprentice situation going on between two people. It's Kylo is the master of the Knights of Ren, but I don't know what that means. I don't think anyone knows really what does that means, Kylo whether he just like fought means? someone. <laughs> I think he does, but I think he my guess is he probably killed the main guy and took his mask or something. Metaphorically, of course. Interesting. Yeah, so I just, I don't know. I just feel like Kylo's act of killing Snoke is part of the rule of two, but I just don't think that, first off, Kylo is not a Sith, and neither was Snoke. So I don't know if that really even qualifies as that, because they're both not Sith yet in the 
rise of skywalker marketing there's a lot of sith being thrown around i, so I, <laughs> I don't know that's what's so confusing is i don't know if i want to ascribe what kylo did as part of the rule of two because the rule of two is supposed to be with the sith and we've been told many a time that kylo is not a sith and neither is snoke so what does that mean and I don't know, because I, Anakin and Palpatine's storylines are quite parallel with Snoke and Kylo as far as the manipulation goes. And so it is interesting to think about. But I think from what we know about Snoke and like from the bits of his internal monologue that we saw in the last Jedi novelization, ooh, scratch it off your bingo, that Snoke, I think, is probably one of those people that was like, the rule of two is dumb. <laughs> He's like, how does no one see that this is dumb? <laughs> He's like, I'm not going to do that. And so he doesn't set it up that way, but he does follow in Palpatine in removing more and more. Well, I don't even want to say that. I was going to say removing more and more of his identity as, as Ben Solo, but Palpatine throw, or Snoke throws that in his face a lot uh, and still talks to Kylo about being Ben Solo, whereas the way that Palpatine talks to Vader about Anakin Skywalker, it is very different. Um, he does discuss them like Obi-Wan describes in A New Hope as a completely separate person, whereas that is not how Snoke talks to Kylo about Ben Solo. He talks to him as he is Ben Solo, I think. Right. I think I think what you got at is kind of super interesting about how Snoke is like, that's a dumb rule knowing that he was probably he just didn't want to ever have his throne threatened mm -hmm. which is just fascinating because he, they're already setting themselves up separate from the sith even though they're they're dark side allocates no matter how you look at it yeah. right and he's like i'm not doing that dumb rule of two rule because that means that i'm gonna die <laughs> at some point if i have a, an apprentice and i don't want to have more than one like i don't know I think there's that line that was in the the Snoke comic. No, the, yeah, the Snoke comic um, that refers to Snoke wanting to have an, like more apprentices. Yeah. And Ben saying there will never be another apprentice or you'll you won't need any more apprentices. Mm. And it like makes my heart break a little bit because I think it's like it's really Ben being like, you won't ever need to replace me. You don't need to replace me with anything. Yeah. Yeah. I can um, be enough. Yeah. But I think that it's. It's just super interesting in that moment that Snoke wanted to have multiple apprentices, but Kylo is like, no. Yeah, because you can pit them against each other and then they're not pitted against you. Exactly, because it's therefore it's not survival of the fittest among two people, but it's survival of the fittest among a group and you're just at the head. And what's great about that is that Kylo says, you'll never, you'll never need another apprentice. And it's true because <laughs> Kylo kills him. <laughs> I think we underestimate how smart Kylo is. We call him a dumb baby a lot, and he is. <laughs> but no, he, he is really smart. I mean, you think about the end of Last Jedi where he's talking about, you know, we need to destroy the Resistance, the Republic, the First Order, the Jedi, and the Sith. He is very well-versed in the things that have come before. He is just blinded by his emotions more than anything. What I am, mm -hmm. I can't remember, and so this is probably a dumb question, but does Snoke use the term dark side of the force in the films so far? I feel like this is a dumb question, but I'm sitting here thinking about it and I can't remember. Well, so that gets to the next point of conversation about how he says you're equal and the light would rise. Yeah. 
Yeah, he, he says Prince of Darkness or Son of Darkness. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's true. So, yeah, yes. I was like, I couldn't remember him saying, like, tap into the power of the dark side of the force. And and even Kylo says about Rey that she – this is also what's interesting is when Kylo talks about Rey in The Force Awakens, she's strong in the force, but it's not she's strong in the light side of the force or she's strong in the dark side of the force. She's strong in the force mm-hmm. and that can be swayed and manipulated. Mm-hmm. But Kylo never says, like, I want to teach you the dark side of the force. He says, I want to be – True. You need a teacher, <laughs> which – I can show you the ways of the force. Yeah, which he's not wrong. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you're right. And But that is so – I've always found that – you're right. I have always found that line really fascinating when they say Kylo is the son of darkness because he's not. Luke is actually the son of darkness. Um, Kylo is the grandson mm-hmm. of darkness. <laughs> but Luke is the one who's actually the son of Vader. And then when you couple that with the fact that Snoke assumed that it was Luke who would be the one to rise – in the light to meet Kylo's darkness, but it was actually Ray. Mm-hmm. Look at Ray just being our accidental fracture, constantly being the accidental constantly fracture, constantly having people go WTF. <laughs> okay, so let's get to the quote that made me really want to do this episode, and it's from the Rise of Skywalker trailer. Long have I waited. Your coming together is your undoing. Amazing. So, uh, first off. I can't do a Palpatine voice, but it is such a good quote. It was, it really gave me chills. It's amazing. I just think that there's something there about your coming together is your undoing. And I, I think I'm going to put money on it. He's talking about Kylo and Ray coming together. And I'm just like, does Palpatine now, if Snoke had an almost an enlightened view about the fact that the rule of two was dumb. So in the timeline now, we're like, wow, the rule of two, like, really screwed me over. <laughs> is he, like, now, is there a different sort of rule of two? A balance, the equal in your light, the, the equal in the light will rise, like Snoke referred to with Ray, or, or what? What is happening here with the future of the rule of two and what will Palpatine bring to the table, given the fact that this was such a thing back in the prequels when he was so active as a Sith, as the Phantom Menace. He was so active. <laughs> he was. He was like, this. that was his like prime puppet building I know, moment. I know, it's right? just funny. It's like active. Like active in the community. <laughs> he just always... <laughs> he was active around. in the community though. <laughs> uh, but he literally was. <laughs> you know that robot chicken sketch about Palpatine becoming elected senator of Naboo and everyone's like, who is this guy? And they're like, I don't know, but he seems nice. <laughs> Exactly. He's a community builder. He, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, this is it, though. This is this is the wild card because it's like, sure, Snoke is like, the rule of two is dumb and Kylo's like the, Kylo is like, the Sith are dumb. Uh, but now it's like, what does Palpatine think about the Sith now? And what does he think about? And therefore, what does he think about the rule of two? Where has he been for 30 years? What has he been doing? What has he learned? We see him in Rebels and uh, in Clone Wars, but in Rebels mainly uh, learning a lot of things. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So has he completed that learning? Because I think if you're following a chronological Palpatine timeline, you, I think, have a lot of reason to say that by the end of Return of the Jedi, he may, I was going to say he hasn't learned it, but maybe he has because we see when he falls down the cavern, the chasm, he's got all that blue smoke. 
the blue fire that we see in Rebels and then that we also see on the poster for The Rise of Skywalker. So maybe he had learned it by that time and he was like, yeah, that's fine. You can throw me over a chasm. I won't die. (laughs) 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 Which, if you remember, like way back when in 2015, I had this theory that there was going to be something in the sequel trilogy that would create a complete paradigm shift with how we view the original and the second trilogy. Well, yeah. I mean, I think I already have that. But paradigm shift, I don't know. Well, it's like, okay, so what if Palpatine did learn what he was supposed to learn and survives that fall? Does that lessen Vader's sacrifice if that was all just another piece of Palpatine's plan? No, it doesn't lessen Vader's sacrifice or his redemption no. at all. I'm like very clear yeah. in this, and I firmly believe that. And I feel like that's being tossed around the fandom a lot now, and I'm like, no, it doesn't at all. But I do think that what you mean by this paradigm shift, imagine the the manipulative implications if Palpatine knew how to save people from death or to how to cheat death and didn't tell Vader. Well, of course he's so, not like, going to tell Vader. So are we getting that story... Well, but I'm. I know. I know he's not. But the fact that like he knows that, and maybe we're gonna learn that that he knows that, and then the whole reason why Vader turned to the dark side is because of that, <laughs> and yet he still didn't ever find that out. And we have the we have the whole Vader immortal game and everything. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Palpatine definitely learns that power. I guess my question is. Is does he learn it before Return of the Jedi, or is he only able to put himself in some kind of holding cell, carbonite, <laughs> take your pick, um, and then he learns it in this kind of purgatory place? I don't know. I I think I mean I 100% agree. Obviously that whatever happens with Palpatine, it doesn't lessen Vader's sacrifice or change his redemption. I think it's just going to be crazy in future viewings, like in our new Skytalkers Machete when you watch these films to realize that that's not the end of the story and that Palpatine doesn't actually die and that they're all celebrating for not basically. Mm-hmm. And they're just kind of biding their time until he returns. It's kind of crazy. Uh, I think that we can clearly say that that's happening and yeah, we're going to see that definitely. more in the rise of Skywalker. It's, just, it's, it's honestly it, insane to think about this movie that the ending has been known since 1983 is going to be different. I know it's fascinating. But I do think that, like, okay, so why hasn't Palpatine shown himself in the past 35 years? I think that Rey and Kylo have to, they have to be a part of that. They have to be the reason why Palpatine, they're coming together, is the reason why Palpatine is able to come back because they're both balancing something. Or Palpatine is using that balance to manipulate him himself to, like, make himself alive so you think they're coming together opens the door for his return i do yeah i think yeah i think i think it's that or he's not even that they're like that he could come back at any time i i either think it's that they're coming together actually opens the door to the world between worlds type of place that he can come out of or that he could have come back at any time but he he realized that the rule of two was stupid too, <laughs> and he was like, "Okay, gotta wait." And he's been waiting for the light to rise to meet Kylo. And again, it's like he maybe he thought it was Luke too. You know, he's been tracking with these Skywalkers for generations now, and then it's Ray, and it's like, well, not what I expected, but I can use it. And then he chooses mm-hmm. to come back. It's crazy because I just think that it totally reinvents the whole rule of two but continuously adds it 
I don't know, it allows for it to be part of something for Palpatine's own gain. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because it's like, if this is the new rule of two, if the Jedi continue, then won't a new version of the Sith rise up too? That's what's so crazy about how this story is going to end is that this is supposed to be our happy ending. This is what's supposed to stop the cycle. So does that mean even the cycle of the Jedi and the Sith? I don't know. I just have to think that Palpatine is going to use the balance for his own gain rather than what it actually represents, which I think is, you know, good. (laughs) And of of course, Palpatine is going to come in here and manipulate the like most intense force users in the galaxy at this point and i just think it's personally i just think it's interesting to think about the idea of balance between ray and kylo from the point of view of understanding the rule of two when we have two people that are supposedly equal and how palpatine can potentially use that against them because you know he will because again it's one of the things that's like yeah obviously kylo and ray represent the balance that's easy peasy lemon squeezy got it but then it's like okay palpatine's gonna come in and use it against them as the dark side of the force but he a dark side user is using the balance of the force for the dark side of the force Mm -hmm. in this new version of the rule of two like potentially yeah this is a theory and a speculation but yeah, but it, like that makes the most sense, though. Honestly. It, it has to. I mean, like we, we always talk about, like, oh, they're going to create the balance. I think they already are the balance. We already saw that. We saw it when they touched hands. We saw it when they fought side by side. The force theme, all of that jazz, you know. And mm-hmm. I think that here we have Palpatine swooping in because who knows? Maybe something activated when they touched hands. Like it could have been just that powerful. Like I have no idea. You know, yeah, a ripple effect through the galaxy, right? And I, I have to assume, just like he was totally blindsided by uh, Anakin's love of Luke, he's going to be totally blindsided by the love of Kylo and Rey and what they represent together, and how one on the dark side doesn't mean that the dark. Like I don't know. I always think about the son and daughter too. How the father was meant to keep all of that into balance in balance, and. I I imagine Palpatine coming into this role of like potentially being like the father, but manipulating that balance for his own gain rather than the good father figure that was in Mortis. Yeah, I kind of think Palpatine is, like I said earlier, he understands the power of love. So I think he's both going to use it and be blindsided by it, which it's going to be it's going to be really great to see Rey and Kylo finally get the upper hand on Palpatine, who has lived his whole life being mm-hmm. the upper hand. Yeah. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. Right. Throw him down one last hole. Let's see if it sticks. I just I really I kind of want it to be I kind of want it to come up again. I would be thrilled if we heard it again after this conversation. I think it'll be cool if they mention it. I'd be interested if it's actually Palpatine who mentions it and not someone else. Yeah. Agreed. Or even Kylo. Yeah. 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 Why don't we move on and talk about the Jedi and their whole deal? deal. Yeah. 
Okay, welcome to part two where we're shifting gears from one side of the force to the other, and we're going to be talking about the Jedi. Now, like we talked about at the top of the show, the Sith are the ones who kind of control the rule of two and use it in a very sinister and manipulative way. But the Jedi also have not a version of this because it's not the same, but this idea of pairs is very prevalent. It's so prevalent that they have a whole system (laughs) built on training of a master and an apprentice. The same terminology that the Sith use is also used by the Jedi, which is all at once not surprising, but also kind of like a question mark. Um, right. that they call each other the same thing. So what does it what does it represent that the Jedi also have this structure set up of masters and apprentices, but there isn't this there isn't this teaching of one day you'll usurp your master, basically. And I kind of think that comes into play with one If we take it all the way back, it reminds me, of course, of Dooku Jedi Loss and the mantra that they say in that where they talk about um, walking in the light, acknowledging the dark and moving forward with both hand in hand, blah, 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 blah. And the idea that all of these Force users were together at one point and then they broke off into Jedi and Sith became what were the Jedi and Sith. And ergo, they have similar terminology and in a way, similar types of knowledge about the Force until they start Mm -hmm. to diverge and the the Sith get a different type and the Jedi get a different type as well. And kind of the big difference that I would imagine grew out of this split between the two is the Jedi's teachings of letting go, whereas the Sith are very much of hold on to your obsessions, hold on to your anxiety and your uh, selfishness and hold it tight. And that's going to take them through their type of like quote unquote training. And what sets the Jedi apart from the Sith is that they teach you to let go so that not only are you holding, not holding on to things like familial relationships, but you're also not holding on to jealousy of masters and the power that they have and things like that. You had this question in here that I think is really interesting about is there a craving for power? I think yes, and I think we see that in Dooku Jedi Lost with Dooku and these kinds of jealousies that form over who gets chosen to be whose master and whose apprentice. And that was such a really fascinating dynamic of Dooku Jedi Lost and of Master and Apprentice too, but it obviously became a bigger deal for Dooku when he wasn't chosen by Kastana to be Kastana's apprentice and he got Yoda and they did not mesh well at all. I think that the idea of a mentor and a mentee relationship is obviously very positive and great, but I do think that the idea of a hierarchy within the Jedi kind of um, is a little problematic when you think about the sort of like mirroring that happens with the Sith versus the Master and Apprentice here in the Jedi. And I think that to the question of is there a craving for power, I think that we can immediately think about Anakin and how... He, of course, of course, there was a craving for power. And of course, there was a craving to almost, even without him saying it explicitly, surpass Obi-Wan in terms of being better than his master. You know, I think that in, in that is kind of like the underlying thing of what is happening in Revenge of the Sith is that he really wanted the place uh, on the Jedi Council. He wanted to take the rank of master. And I think he wanted to be prove himself better than Obi-Wan because he is, you know, the chosen one. 
I think that there's a, a little bit of a danger that creeps in. Maybe that's that's the dark side creeping in as well. Is that understood? Like wanting more and craving more. Like what Anakin says in Attack of the Clones, I want more. Oh wait, that's in Revenge of the Sith. I want more, but I know I shouldn't. <laughs> and I just think that it's fascinating because I think there we see this idea of almost the rule of two coming, where Anakin wants to surpass Obi Wan in terms of power. And how do you do that? Well, I think that he tries to, you know, in in this kind of quasi way kill Obi-Wan in order to assume the top place at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's really crazy thinking about... I mean, you're right, because Anakin does try to kill Obi-Wan and would have if he had the mm-hmm. chance, but he lost, even yep. though he is more powerful than Obi-Wan. Like, his his strength in the Force is more than Obi-Wan's. But he's still right. lost. Yep. I had it. It's weird when you like say things in a different way. You're like, oh, like that's right. And that's how I've always talked about those moments. But when you're like, yeah, Anakin's selfishness led him to try and kill Obi-Wan. Yeah. I just think it like it totally represents the futility of kind of the rule of two, but also shows the problems of sometimes this competitive nature between the master and apprentice dynamic. And that's where we get a sort of mirror image of what's happening with the Sith and what's happening with the Jedi, at least in Revenge of the Sith in the time of the prequels, where the Jedi are pretty corrupt. And that's why, you know, people can believe, you know, certain allegations against the Jedi. Mm-hmm. because they have become so intertwined in the war and things that they had never been intertwined with before. Yeah, and then you got to think of the flip side of it too where masters are masters and apprentices are taught to let go of each other and not just a I'm moving on I'm a Jedi Knight but leave them to die kind of mentality too. Mm-hmm. And we see this a couple of times throughout the Clone Wars too and how that seems so I mean that like the you know the the great example is the, the Geonosis arc with Ahsoka and Barris and you know you said earlier that Anakin wants to overtake Obi-Wan to the point where he tries to kill him and Barris doesn't try to overtake Barris or Luminara doesn't try to overtake Barris by any means and certainly doesn't hate her but does in fact think it's okay to leave her there to die mm-hmm. is one worse than the other I don't know. That's what that's what's so that's what's interesting to me about this whole dynamic is thinking about in which ways they are the same, in which ways they are different. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there's again, like I said with the Sith before, is that I just think there's something really interesting about how there's such an emphasis on two, like a pair, and then there's such an emphasis on the Jedi as well, two with the pair. And I also think that like when you remove the emotions from the master and apprentice, like no attachments, nothing. I think that it really, I don't know. I think that's a major problem of the prequel Jedi that, you know, to be honest, I don't think it's discussed enough. I think that some people have this idea that the attachments are bad, even still after watching the prequels and understanding that love is what saved Vader in the end. Because, but I I don't, I don't find that at all. I think that that is it makes the Jedi stoic and removed and unable to understand certain complex problems that are present when you have to understand like empathy and compassion and love, right? And I think that that's how 
that's what the future of the Jedi is, is understanding that and incorporating that. It has to be or else the Jedi will go extinct because the, there's you're not allowed to be in love. Like, that's insane. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just think I, it just, it's, it's just a problem. And it's, it, it was put into place to show the, the problems of the Jedi by George. Yeah. There's also, there's this duality to that saying though, of letting go. And we, I can't remember exactly how we talked about this, but we have talked about this before with, uh, it's like the, the Jedi hold, hold the world at arm's length in terms of compassion. But, then they're mm-hmm. – and I forget the second part of it, but it's like they hold the world at arm's length. And so they don't have that intense emotion towards every – towards the people that they're saving, even though they do give it their all. And a lot of the Jedi that we see in the Clone Wars are genuinely good people doing their best in what is an impossible situation. But they do have – like there is validity to the phrase of letting go of letting go of your fear. And I think that's where it trips a lot of people up. And it's like, you know, you talk about Kylo, of course, um, of letting go. And everyone's like, yeah, well, that's what he needs to do. And it's like, no, 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 no. (laughs) That's not actually what he needs to do. (laughs) The whole conceit is that he's wrong this whole time. It's not about letting go of your past. That's what Ray needs to do. That's not what Kylo needs Mm -hmm. to do. And that's kind of the same thing, I think, like, because they're the balance, it's this representation that the term let the phrase let go means a different thing for each of them. And it also means different things for all of us. Like letting go of the things that weigh you down. Yeah, that's a good thing. Letting go of the family that loves you, not a good thing. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just that simple though. It's just that simple. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and for the Jedi, the, like the way that the Jedi taught letting go, and even to a certain extent, the way that Yoda like gave Ahsoka to Anakin to teach him about letting go, I don't necessarily think that was a bad thing. What Yoda's intention was with that, because attachments can bring you down, but at that time, the Jedi are also refusing to see just how much of a strength they can also be, which was, of course, demonstrated in Anakin and Ahsoka's relationship and the way that they, you know, got stuff done (laughs) and how they were Mm -hmm. able to save each other time and time again. And that was overall good for the Jedi because those are some of their top performing Jedi (laughs) and Padawans. (laughs) So it's, it's just, I mean, it's kind of like the rule of two in pairs, the balance, the pairs, they can either be used for good or for evil. And who or what is anything manipulating them? What does a pair look like when they're kind of left, when they're on equal footing and left to their own devices? And that's Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, I'd like to read that quote that starts the Revenge of the Sith novelization. There's a reference in the beginning that talks about how adults take no comfort in the escapisms of their younglings or their kids. So here's the quote. A pair of starfighters, Jedi starfighters, only two. Two is enough. Two is enough because the adults are wrong and their younglings are right. Though this is the end of the age of heroes, it has saved the best for last. So good. Oh, my God. I love that beginning because it's so good. But I always like how it starts with focusing in on this this relationship between Master and Apprentice. Two two starfighters, two is enough, two is all they need, two is what will save the galaxy. 
And I think that there's this this optimism that happens in the beginning of the of, of Revenge of the Sith, where and it's so fun. That first act is so fun, where it's Obi Wan and Anakin teaming up, and I think that people have been wanting that forever. At least that's what I assume <laughs> the audience had wanted that forever to hear about this, like this friendship between Anakin and Obi Wan, but that really wasn't delivered in the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. They were separated, and they Anakin didn't even meet Obi Wan until like a third of the third or fourth of the way through um, the Phantom Menace. Anyway, I just really like how it opens with just two starfighters and two is enough. And this whole idea of twos is just ever present on both the Jedi and the Sith side. And I'm just so eager to see how it's going to be represented further into whatever happens with Rey's own Jedi Order, as I expect it to at the end of The Rise of Skywalker. How will the Jedi survive? I mean, I think that it's so important that it does. And given what Yoda says to Luke, like, pass on what you've learned not just in Return of the Jedi when he dies, but again in The Last Jedi, strength, failure, folly, all these things have to be passed on. And therefore, I think that there will be a Jedi Order of some sort. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I do think that there is this idea that these, whatever, what is two? What is this combination? What is this balance? What is this ultimate rule of two in a positive light? What does that look like? I don't know. And I just think that it's fascinating that this last, this book that is the, potentially the last uh, when it wrote when it was written the last reflective nature of the the star wars saga opens with two two is enough two starfighters it's just great yeah i honestly can't say it any better uh you really like went ham (laughs) on the revenge of the death novelization praise there is always i just have to have like a meta moment there's always a point in the show where where, and it usually happens at the end of part two where i go on a monologue (laughs) (laughs) right yeah. <laughs> it's a thing. Charlotte monologue, monologue time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sit back it. and relax and Charlotte monologue. It. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah, and I think that's always a good point to bring up with the Revenge of the Sith novelization is that it was kind of this last piece that we had, you know, even aside from the Clone Wars series which would have been in production at this time, like an early, early pre-production from George. Um, and, and furthermore, the live action series was too at this time. And we know that George approved literally every single word going into this book. And that's kind of something really important to keep in mind because that's not always the case with novelizations. The thing that stands out to me is yes, the pair of starfighters, Jedi starfighters, only two, and then two is enough. But also that like this is the end of the Age of Heroes, and it saved the best for last. And you're right, there is such this optimism, but even as the audience, you know that this isn't actually the best. This is the worst. This is the darker middle chapter of, at the time, a six-part saga, literally mm-hmm. smack jab in the middle of it. And it is this foreshadowing because we know that's not going to be the case. But while that is wrong, not wrong, it's just, yeah, it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Two is enough. That is true. And that remains true. And mm-hmm. Anakin and Obi-Wan were enough for the time that they were Master and Apprentice together. And the things that they were able to accomplish as Master and Apprentice, and even the things that uh, countless other sets of Masters and Apprentices were able to do together was enough. But 
it wasn't enough altogether. And so we're moving towards this thing that is different than anything that has come before it. But the common denominator is that it's two. And not only is it enough, but it's what is necessary. Mm-hmm. Like this is almost – it's almost like getting by, like survival, whereas what Ray and Kyler are going to do in the end is going to be the final chapter. And mm-hmm. it's going to be what closes the book on all of this, what stops the cycle, what gives us our happy ending, vanquishes Palpatine, and like you said, moves us forward into whatever this new school of force users looks like, where they can be trained to understand how to let go of the things that are weighing them down and embrace the things that give them strength. Because Rank mm-hmm. Kylo were able to do that, and Kylo is there, Ben is there to teach on his failures. And the two is enough – the two is like this two is enough, but Ray and Kyler are going to be two is more than enough. It's what's necessary. And I hope that doesn't sound like I'm discrediting our other pairs that we've seen before, because I'm definitely not, because Anakin and Obi-Wan are lots of sad things, <laughs> like good emotions, <laughs> lots of angst that I'm hundred percent for. And then so are our other pairs too. I mean, the other masters and apprentices, like Anakin and Obi-Wan, Anakin and Ahsoka, Obi-Wan and Luke, even Maul and Ezra has a very interesting and at times empathetic dynamic. And then, of course, Kanan mm-hmm. and Ezra, Kanan and Sabine um, is an amazing time, even though it's short, that we get to spend with them. And then, you know, Ray never really gets that kind of mentor relationship. Like that, too, doesn't really that type of pair doesn't really come into her story. She tries. Because she's finding her perfect duo. Yeah, exactly. She's she's trying. And Kylo tells her that. He's like, you tried Han, not going to work. You tried Luke, also not going to work. <laughs> and the only time it works is when she's with Kylo. Good. And again, it's, just, it's, it's very good. Star is very it's good. good. It's good. It's good. Star is good. Star is a tragedy, but Star is also good. <laughs> And we've said this before, but the kind of the fascinating thread running through all of these stories is this one of generations interacting and being masters and apprentices inherently means that someone is older and someone is younger, someone is wiser and someone is dumber and not dumber, but <laughs> they just don't have the the wisdom of the ages. And there is this hierarchy that's kind of baked into someone being older than you that just kind of comes naturally. And even though like, Kylo is older than Ray, they're of the same generation. And that is a very different dynamic than what we've really seen. Honestly, the closest thing we've seen to that, I think, is Ezra and Sabine. And even that's like a big stretch. Mm-hmm. They're just, we've just seen the most amount of time from them as people who are roughly of the same age working together to accomplish things. And you know what? At the end of Rebels, they do a darn good job accomplishing some really big things. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But the, I think that's really only the comp- the only comparable relationship we really have, unless you want to talk about like Anna, uh, Ahsoka and Barris. And I don't really think that really works into the conversation at all because their time is so limited that we see them together. Whereas Ray and Kylo are the ones learning and growing the most of the same generation and they are the pair at the end of this story. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about symbolism. Let's. Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. 
Okay, so welcome to part three. We're going to be talking about symbolism. And I just thought this would be like a catch-all because what we've been dancing around really is that there's just this idea, not really dancing around, I think I've said it in each part. There's this idea of pairs to in all these different forms. And it's not just in the Jedi, it's not just in the Sith, but it's in it gets deeper than that. So why don't we start with symbionts? Yes. So symbionts, symbiotic relationships is when one is giving to the other a balance. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> this is most uh, talked about in stars, of course, with midi chlorians, which were introduced in The Phantom Menace. And this is what Qui-Gon says to Shpi, uh, I'm sorry, to Anakin about, right? Who does yeah. he say this to? Anakin. Yeah, Anakin. <laughs> yeah. Just like I'm, I can't remember what anyone has said in Star Wars except "May the Force be with you," and I've got a bad feeling about this. Oh, so, so Anakin or Qui Gon tells this to Anakin in the Phantom Menace. He says, "Midi chlorians were intelligent, microscopic life forms that lived symbiotically inside the cells of all living things. When present in sufficient numbers, they could allow their hosts to detect the pervasive energy field known as the Force." And this, like, completely changed Star Wars and the way of the Force. And a lot of people were a lot of angry at it for a long time. (laughs) And um, I, you know, I think if I had been, like, a teenager, young adult in 1999, I think I probably might have felt the same way, honestly. But us being very lucky to have grown up (laughs) as Star Wars fans post-second trilogy, more or less. I feel like we are able to reap the benefits of things like the Clone Wars and actually having a lot of content around to discuss what midi-chlorians actually are and what they mean in the realm of the Jedi and how they are really representative of how far the Jedi have fallen. And we talked about this a lot in our Yoda series where we were trying to basically figure out what exactly midi-chlorians do in regards to the cosmic and living force and how they are living symbiotically and this idea that it's not just the Jedi or f- who have the force that everyone has the force it's just and it's not so much the like it is the amount of mini chlorians but it's also not the amount of mini chlorians but <laughs> I'm still really confused no no I think you're right though while not talking about mini chlorians completely because I think that we're talking more about symbionts and the idea of like there being this equal relationship between host and like <laughs> I don't know. It gets kind of like parasitic a little bit. And I think that's not what George was going for when he talked about midichlorians. I think that was just like a way to count what was in your blood in terms of your force powers. And I think that equals bad and it's supposed to equal bad. You know, I don't think that you should be able to like put a number on someone's power. And we've talked about this before. Just because I think that that got a little too dogmatic when you look at the prequel Jedi, which are, you know, I think not the best examples of what a Jedi could be. I think they get a little bit too um, caught up in in their own practices, including midi-chlorians. But what I think is really interesting is the symbiotic relationship between the Force and its host, which is a person or a creature or whatever. And I think that they have to work in a pair in order for the Force to feel, I don't know, for you to feel the Force. And I said this before, I said this on our Weird Force stuff episode, but I think that what's really interesting is I think the Force Bond is like the most clear example of a symbiotic relationship that we could possibly get. This idea of 
the fo- the force being able to uh, reach across the galaxy and um, balance and find this like equal ground, equal footing among two force users. The energy can kind of process from one person to another and all these things living and uh, cosmically, you know, it gets all freaky weaky, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it it really is. But I think that there's this idea here of like two uh, concepts have to work together in order to, I don't know, work. Like that's what a symbiont is, right? Yes. Yeah, but it's <laughs> it's confusing because you're right that people's force abilities shouldn't be defined by a number, but they clearly can be defined by a number. And it's not it's not two. And it again it's that weird thing, like is it balanced to have a host like even just using that terminology of there's a host for the symbionts of the midichlorians of the force of the living force that mm-hmm. just makes it sound like one is more important than the other depending on whose perspective you're on like they need each other right. yes but there's a difference between being like a mic- microscopic being and then also being a human being who can actually or a uh, a species in the galaxy and you can you know, like walk. <laughs> and I always think things. it's interesting how George Lucas, when and he talked about what he like recently in like the past like two years, he came out and said that he wanted to work on like microbiology, yeah, in terms of the ser- the Star Wars series that he was going to be developing. And I think that that's what like it, it's hard to, for your brain not to immediately go to like midi chlorians and like the symbiosis and everything. And I think defining symbiosis, I looked it up in terms of biology. It's an interaction between two different organisms living in close proximity, um, typically at the advantage of both. So it's not one over the other, of course. It's equal. That's what I was trying to get at. It's like this equal footing. Yeah, it is. It's just I think it's more of that how you conceptualize it in your head of like the tiny bitty chlorians and the big force user. You know, I, I think you're, we're used to thinking about, you know, big is better. The human, the the species is more important than the microscopic life form when that isn't true because the microscopic life form is a part of the living force and the cosmic force. And that's what's actually providing the species with more force powers or a level of force powers because we all have the force um, in the galaxy. It makes me really interested in what George's thing would have even been you know what what i'm so like what would that have looked like would have just been like a planet earth episode but inside the force or would it would it have been like an inside out kind of thing well i wouldn't like that i know (laughs) (laughs) i have like a controversial opinion i don't like inside out and people are gonna come for me now but i think that i think it would be more mortis-esque than not you know i think like more Mm. symbolic yeah like a lot of shape-shifting exactly a lot of fluidity. Right. The point here being that even <laughs> the there's like this dualism happening between midichlorians and the host itself that is just pervasive throughout the saga. So we have the rule of two, we have masters and apprentices, we have the balance, and we have symbiosis. And it's like, there's just, it's just fascinating because it's not only do we get this um, uneven relationship with the Sith in terms of the rule of two or like potentially the same thing. You could say the same thing about Masters and Apprentices and the Jedi Order. 
But now we're getting into almost this like yin and yang type symbolism where one Ooh. is not – yeah, one is not without the other. <laughs> and so we, you cannot have one without the other. It's like what we say about Ray and Kylo, like they they live and die together. And I think that like that's the same thing about like symbionts and midichlorians and symbiosis and everything like that. It's it's a partnership, right? And to me, it's just is there. It's hard for me not to look at Star Wars through this prism of all these different forms of partnerships and what is the ultimate partnership. And I think that's what we're building to. And I feel like I'm, I keep kind of saying the same thing, but I do think that's what we're building to is this like somehow this deeper understanding of what it is to work together and uh I, I just I, I feel like that's what the Rise of Skywalker is going to say. Yeah, a hundred percent. It. I want to take back something I said earlier about uh, Ray and Kylo kind of being the only example of this time of these people in a similar generation, and how Ezra and Sabine were kind of the only comparable ones. But that's not true because we have Dark Disciple, which is very comparable, and we also have Bastilla and Revan, which they're not. They're not canon anymore, right? Um, no. They're not like strictly canon. Anymore. No, they're not canon at all. Okay. They're not canon at all. <laughs> <laughs> but that is something very comparable. And people, a lot of Raylos have drawn incredible parallels between that relationship and uh, Ray and Kylo. And then, of course, Dark Disciple, which is canon, does have a lot of similarities. Even like, I don't know, kind of seeing these banters between like couples and stuff throughout Clone Wars, like, like Asajj and Obi-Wan is very interesting. Um, but yeah, we, you know, Charlotte and I were watching Freddie Prince's Jr. Freddie Prince Jr.'s rant before we started this recording, which I think we mentioned it right after it happened on our most recent episode after that rant happened. But if you haven't heard, Freddie Prince Jr. is, I don't know what he's on. He's on some gaming live stream, some Twitch or something. And he, Someone asks him about Star Wars or, you know, his opinion, whatever it was. And he just goes off on this rant about it's very a lot of cursing, but a lot of good stuff, he says. And he talks about the rule of two. Uh, he doesn't call that. He doesn't call it by name, but it's what he's talking about. And he's talking about masters and apprentices and manipulation. And he even says at one point, you know, if you follow these pairs of people, and what they're doing, you're going to know what's coming up in the end. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so interesting. And so much lately, we've been seeing a lot of discourse about like the trio of Star Wars. And I think that's so hard because on the one hand, I want to see like a trio like we've seen before. But then the other, it's like once we start mapping it out like this, seeing all of these pairs in so many different formations, honestly, and in different generations, it just makes sense that like we need that in The Rise of Skywalker more than we need a trio in a way because our pairs are often force users and they're often doing things they should or should not be doing <laughs> and manipulating and, and messing around in the force and it's having galactic ramifications. and. You know, like I said, it's it's just crazy when you start looking back through all of the themes that have been present in a lot of different mediums, playing with this idea, but ultimately saying the same thing that everyone is searching, is trying to find. Everyone is trying to find this balance. 
between force users either through teachings or through manipulation. And Mm -hmm. they've all come up short. And the question then becomes, why have they all come up short? Well, it's because of the teachings and the manipulation (laughs) and the faults that were found in all of them. Obviously, the faults in the the manipulation is quite obvious, um, but the faults in the teaching were uh, more deep-seated and more obscured, both by the dark side of the Force and by the Jedi themselves. And not because they were trying to do bad things, but just because they stopped listening to each other and stopped listening to the Force as well. And all of those types of pairs have failed until we get to the end. And like you said, search, um, Ray's searching for her perfect balance, for her perfect pair. And that's going to be like there's – and I, that goes back to the, one of the themes of the sequel trilogy of finding a sense of belonging and finding a sense of balance with someone else. Mm-hmm. I think we'd be remiss to not mention the idea of twins throughout Star Wars. Yes. I think that is another form of balance and pairs and everything that is just so present. And back to Freddie Prince Jr.'s rant, he talked about like how does the force balance? And he used the birth of Luke and Leia as an example, which is honestly something I'd never considered before. And I still am not sure I fully agree with it, but I guess I should kind of take Freddie Prince's words into heart because he knows more than me about Star Wars. In he terms said of, it as like, much. He was like, I learned from Dave who learned from George, so sit down. <laughs> right. Like, I feel like I should listen to him about that. He says that the force balances himself through Luke and Leia when they were born. And I thought that that was so interesting. Didn't you, Caitlin? Yeah, I, I remember us being like, whoa. And I think that from the moment you see those twin sons, first off, and then you have the twins of Luke and Leia. And they are they obviously, I think, represent some form of balance the the boy and girl the the like f- rich and poor there's there's so much there right but i do think that it's i don't know if they exactly did represent the balance in the end i think that maybe they did in the, as they represented the hope for the galaxy at their end of revenge of the sith it's a different form of balance but regardless i think that we're often given this whole idea of twins whether it's by relative or this this whole like it goes back to the yin and yang right about like what not one without the other i don't know i just i i am i always get kind of hung up on the whole idea of twins being present within star wars because it feels so heavy and important given luke the luke's most i guess iconic scene looking over into the twin sons as a representative of hope right Mm -hmm. and then him he himself being a twin and then his twin actually representing what brings him into the fight and instills hope within her like i I don't know i I just think that there's something there and is it another rule of two i don't know i just think that there's another this is another form of pair well what was was crazy this is the thing that really kind of threw me was in freddie's rant is that he said that palpatine was like you got the two smartest force users palpatine and yoda and interesting Mm -hmm. That you got the two smartest force users that are the head of the Sith and the head of the Jedi, but Palpatine is ultimately smarter because for we've talked so much about it. Yoda is not as smart as Palpatine, <laughs> at least not mm-hmm. in the second trilogy. And and then Palpatine, the way that Freddie describes it, it's that Palpatine knows that Anakin is powerful in the Force and that he can't kill Anakin, 
because then, quote, the force will course correct. And I think that's such an interesting line. <laughs> the idea of course correcting. Yeah, that this is not part of the plan. And so he goes on to say, he says, you know, the for- if he kills Anakin, the force will course correct. And so what does Palpatine do? He manipulates Anakin to keep him on his side. And so then it kind of makes me wonder, like, were Luke and Leia part of that course correction? And, you know, the force, depending on where you fall on the did Palpatine manipulate Anakin's birth, did the force do it on its own, is there actually a Mr. Skywalker somewhere out there, wherever you fall on that spectrum. Oh, I think the movies are telling you that there's something like freaky going on oh, in terms of yeah. the midi chlorians for Anakin. Yeah, and it I was think for me, some form of virgin birth. It's very strange. Yeah, but. for me, I think it's more. It's more. Do you agree that Palpatine manipulated it, or was it the Force? Right, right. I don't actually think there's a Mr. Skywalker somewhere, but I think some people do. <laughs> <There is. laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> a Mr. Skywalker, Mr. Smith. Uh, <laughs> but maybe when Anakin fell. There was that course correction in creating Luke and Leia and having twins be this balance. But at the end of the day, what's kind of fascinating is, like you said, we're kind of like, oh, are they a balance? Yoda does say at the end of Empire Strikes Back, you know, that there is another. But he's kind of saying it on the chance that, like, if Luke dies, there's there's another. another. It's not they're going to (laughs) stay together. Mm-hmm. It's like it's not that they're doing something together. It's that there's another Skywalker should our second out of three also fail. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious, actually. It really is. <laughs> and so don't worry, we got a backup plan. Got a backup. <laughs> got a, we're down to plan C. Like, good lord. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. But I just thought that phrase, of course, correct, was so interesting. And it's like, okay, if it was just Anakin, Anakin couldn't do it on his own. So things were course corrected and Luke and Leia were born. They either did not have the upbringing to bring them together to be a balance of the force, couldn't be a balance of the force. And so things were course corrected again. And strangely enough, this kind of falls in so well, I think, with how we tend to interpret the cosmic force, especially in regards to Rey and Kylo. Obviously, all roads lead to Rey and Kylo. (laughs) But (laughs) the end of Force Awakens, when the cosmic force splits them apart in their duel, it's course correcting because this isn't the time. Um, This isn't the place they, the force is like, we have been through so freaking much and you two have got to work this out. (laughs) And so it it forces them apart and like they created Rey the accidental fracture because she couldn't come from the Skywalkers because that hasn't worked so far she had to come from somewhere else she had to be something different to bring something new to that that you know rule of two for lack of a better word mm-hmm yeah, I just his his rant gives you a lot to think about, a lot of affirmation, but also a lot of things to think about because I don't think Luke and Leia represented this balance, and maybe the Force realized that too, and then, but then it's like, well, wouldn't the Force know that already? But maybe not, or maybe right. it was just the course of events, and that gets into our whole conversation about predestination and the will of the Force, which we can't do. Yeah, we can't do that one. tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I uh yeah, 
I'll I'll make sure to link Freddie's rant in the comment or like in the show notes in the show description so you guys can watch it if you haven't. I just find it really fascinating what Star Wars is doing to they're really pushing this idea of not one without the other mm-hmm. throughout symbolism, throughout stories and throughout all these echoes of what came before in terms of Star Wars like content. And I I just feel like if I could put like a thesis statement on the end of this episode that we're going to see some sort of redefinition of what it all means, this rule of two, why the dualism is such a big deal, what does balance mean. And I think that Palpatine is absolutely necessary in, in uh, helping us understand why balance is a good thing because Palpatine represents such evil and he'll try to manipulate and use it for his own gain. And us seeing that as an audience will be extremely powerful because we'll understand how powerful Kylo and Rey are together as a duo, you know? And I don't mean that as in like a couple form, even though I do think that that is like prevalent because what kind of threw Palpatine from his perch to begin with was the the love of a father to his son and the love of a son to the father. And I think that that really is what's going to like some sort of love between Rey and Kylo, between Kylo and Rey is going to throw Palpatine off. But the fact that that has already happened before in Return of the Jedi, I think that his manipulation will be somehow stronger and he will be totally thrown off. But will it it, I don't know. I think as an audience, we'll see how powerful they are together and how important it is to have this duo working together. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> and I like I'm happy. I, I, we could be wrong for sure. Of, of course, we're getting so close. I saw someone say that there's six Thursdays okay. until the Rise of Skywalker. All and right. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not counting things by Thursdays. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You count things by episodes. So... That means there's. I can't do that anymore, though, Caitlin, because there's just too many episodes between now and the Rise of Skywalker. I... So much content. But I just, I just feel like it's going to be so good, and we're going to be. I think that what you mentioned like 30 minutes ago <laughs> about how something insane is going to happen, where we're going to look at the original trilogy in a totally different way. Yes, I do think that's going to happen, and I think it will probably be something to do with Rey and Kylo as the balance, as the representative of this like ultimate pair. Can we talk about how I'm just, I think I'm going to be remiss if I don't mention this. It's the stupidest thing ever, but in terms of symbolic pairs, you literally have (laughs) Anakin, (laughs) Anakin, (laughs) you know what I'm going to say, in Attack of the Clones. It's so stupid, but I have to say it, in Attack of the Clones, there's the... The dessert no, pear, God. and he slices it in half. He doesn't slice it in half. He slices, <laughs> slices it in thirds, and he gives. Yeah, well, he takes he it from her. Padme the butt of the pear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I always think that scene is like kind of representative of like the whole Adam and Eve like tasting the the fruit. Yep, but it's just I don't know. I, I, I like I, because we've been saying the word pear so much. I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna mention it. Mel and I wrote a fan fiction about that seed once. Years ago, yeah, it was it really was, funny. I mean, it wasn't actually that funny, but we, yeah, it was we funny thought it was funny. Not the time, yeah. So, <laughs> I actually think this is not the one we read on Patreon like two years ago. I'm pretty I think sure it is. I think I'm pretty we did sure we read that on Patreon. Yeah. It's really bad. <laughs> 
I'm really glad you ended the episode with the pair that started it all, literally. The pair the really, pair did, really start did start it all. I think it's then that Padme was like, you know, I could get with this guy, this pear-cutting guy. And uh, the rest yeah. is history. And now, <laughs> Kylo's got to finish what Anakin started and give Ray Got to slice that pear yeah, one more time. Her, like, actually half of it. That's what <laughs> that's what the saga is leading to. I feel like I could un- unpack that whole scene and Let's, it would be, like, we embarrassingly deep. Yeah, we're not <laughs> well, going to. Well, we were, like, the Adam and Eve. I was, like, great. <laughs> but you know it's true. I know it's Hello. true. I know it's true. <laughs> <laughs> you're like here we go we're, we're doing this but we're not do doing it. this right don't now. worry I, we're not doing this right now <laughs> <laughs> someday we'll do a whole episode about like food <laughs> in star wars and it'll be it'll be so deep <laughs> they don't actually eat that much in star wars though yeah i know that's why I, I said someday someday when it's like really meaningful i mean ray eating is really meaningful but i guess there is meaning yeah. in star wars in eating Fine. There's meaning in everything. No. We can unpack anything. What we is want. the meaning of Luke eating on Dagobah and Yoda steals his food? I don't know, Caitlin. Not the meaning of the scene as a whole of showing Yoda's crazy and then to subvert our expectations that he's actually the Jedi Master. That's the meaning of the whole scene. I know, I know that's the meaning of the scene. What's the meaning <laughs> of the food? I don't know. That Luke eats gross looking weird stuff. <laughs> It's the food doesn't have meaning in that scene. It's like space it's, lunchables. It's not even a space lunchable because lunchables are edible. That was whatever he was eating was not. <laughs> no, it looks like paper. Yeah, or um, or like a tauntaun jerky. Yeah, gross. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> I think they have some sort of jerky no. in uh, Galaxy's Edge. They definitely do. Oh and man, I have not gotten it. You know, I could really go for I a Ronto wrap right now. I could really go for a Ronto. Me wrap. too. Next time we go to Galaxy's Edge, I'm really excited to taste the Impossible meat. Yeah, Ronto wrap. I've seen no one talk about it online, and maybe it's not out yet, but I'm ready for it. I just like why is Ronto wrap so good? <laughs> so good. I'm counting down the days until we can get another one. I know. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And I'll finally yeah. get the Meluron juice because there was. <laughs> we have we told the have we told the story of the Meluron? Juice? We told the blue milk and green milk story, but we have not told the Meluron. I don't think we have. It's not that good of a it's story. Not, the the it's story not, it's is not even funny. I mean, it's funny now. No, no, no. It's funny. the The people at Ronto Roasters told us. Kayla and I go up, and we're over. like so excited. Yeah, they were so excited to get the Meluron juice. We're like rebels re- representation, <laughs> animation. Like, yes. We're like. Yeah, and I had had it before, and I was like, it's delicious, it's amazing, and the people were getting served, like, it's like a quick service, you go up to the counter, and then they, like, give it to you, you know, right then, Um, and I'm like, one Melu Run, or yeah. two Melu Run juices, and the guy's like, sorry, we're out, <laughs> and I was like, okay, we'll get the, whatever the other one was, like, the something sour, news, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was good, whatever. But okay, so we roll on over it. We're waiting for a Ronto wrap. It takes a long time. Oh, and he gives and us, all these people. This is the other problem. Are, he gives us two Ronto wraps, charges me for two Ronto wraps and two drinks. <laughs> and you know, Disneyland, that makes it hella expensive. <laughs> and it was, we were just going to split one. It's a it was huge like AF Ronto $50 wrap. $50 at the end. And I was like, yeah. whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we only ordered one Ronto wrap. <laughs> 
And so then I'd wait for the manager to come and give the refund. And in that time, I think a dozen other people got Melu Ron juice. <laughs> and they were given the Melu Ron juice. And I'm just there like fuming. <laughs> You know, steam is coming out of my ears and nose. I'm like, I, wh- where the heck? They're like pouring it. I'm like, why can't we get the Melu Run juice? So I say something because I'm that person. <laughs> she, she and I'm like, so mad. I was, <laughs> I was like, I see everyone else getting Melu Run juices and we were told that you were out. So can we have a Melu Run juice? And then he was like, you know, I just, I thought we were out. I thought we were at our last one. And they were they, like, all the cast members look at him like, no. you're kind of crazy there. Yeah, we have so much. It's freaking Disneyland. So we, still we got, only got it. At the one. End, and it was delicious. We only got one. <laughs> anyway, it's upsetting because May Lou and Juice and Ronto Rap were like the star of the Galaxy's Edge eating scene for me. And it was just like, it took like 20 minutes to get that whole thing sorted out. They had to call a manager from God knows where, deep within the belly of Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> And he like finally yeah. meandered over, and I'm like, "Give me back my twenty five dollars, sir." <laughs> <laughs> yep. So anyway, but that being said, I could really go for a Ronto wrap right about now. <laughs> the Melu Run juice was totally worth the kind of headache of me fuming. <laughs> <laughs> It really was, though, wasn't it, it was. it was really fun, too, because where we sat in Ronto Rooster, Roasters is we sat, like, kind of overlooking, I don't know, like, uh, the the backside, the yeah, walkway. walkway. And yeah. so we just got to yell at stormtroopers as they walked by, and they'd always, like, turn around and look at us and kind of, like, point their blasters and then, like, walk away. It was really fun. No, the coolest thing ever was that we saw Vi yeah. Moradi running, and we were like, Vi, good luck, do whatever you want to do, like, good luck, like you know, resistance, whatever. And we were just sitting up there drinking our juice and eating our, our wrap, whatever. And she comes up and comes sits with mm-hmm. us yeah. out of surprise. And she's like, have you seen any any First Order? And we're like, yeah, we, they went that way. It was, it was so cool. cool. It she was like so appeared cool. behind us and we were like, hey. <laughs> yeah, anytime Disney can have those kind of interactive experiences, like even I think that a lot of those like character moments are for kids and that's the reason why they're there. But like she didn't have to come all the way up. Like it was a, yeah, it was a to, track like, go to around. get from. Yeah. And I thought it was so nice. I loved it. It was, it was really great. Good. And it was like that was truly one of the highlights of Galaxy's Edge for me was sitting there. It was probably my favorite part. I mean, I, I don't know. I, we had a lot of good times. Yeah, we did. But that was that was fun. Just like chilling with our animated beverage and our Ronto wrap, a shock and divide and yelling at stormtroopers. Yeah, it was great. That's like, that's the Galaxy's Edge Honestly. experience. <laughs> yep. Look to the animation department for the future of food and Galaxy's Edge. So True. It's, it's the best. The best. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this week's episode. We are not going anywhere because we have a so much coming down the line, folks. It's <laughs> I honestly don't know how we're going to do it, but... We're going to do I it, I know Caitlin. we're going to. I just, I don't know how. I just know what's going to happen. So Mandalorian. I have to say, I feel like, I feel like maybe we should give like a little bit of a warning that maybe this will be our last like main show episode for like maybe a month or mm-hmm. so. Because I think that we're going to be kind of exhausted by the amount of Mandalorian content since we're getting two in the first week. And, and then Resistance yeah. is all, all also happening and everything. And I just feel like everyone's going to be wanting to talk about the Mandalorian anyway, unless we get some huge 
uh, Rise of Skywalker news and we just have to talk about it, then obviously we'll do it because we we want to talk about whatever we want to talk about, right? True. And eventually, I think we do want to talk about Resistance Reborn. Um, we've both read it, and but we just didn't get. I don't know. It, we sometimes like the way that we choose topics is really like what we really want to talk mm-hmm. about and what will give us the most joy of talking about. And I think that something super structured, like talking about a book just wasn't fitting for this week. Yeah. And we kind of wanted to get this out before we got inundated with content of Star Wars television, which I can't believe I'm even saying that <laughs> sentence. It's so exciting. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. But yeah, like Charlotte said, the, our schedule is not going to be at all set in stone. Just know that we will be covering Resistance and Mandalorian. This probably will be our last main show episode Maybe until Rise of Skywalker. I don't know. When Last Jedi came out, yeah, the podcast was still very young, and so we like stopped <laughs> in November. We like got off Twitter, got off the podcast. We were like, we out. Like no spoilers here. So I I know that we'll definitely be doing like a Twitter blackout. The closer we get to Rise of Skywalker, we haven't picked a date yet to say goodbye to Twitter, but it will happen. And my guess is, aside from Resistance and Mandalorian coverage, that will probably happen with the main show as well but we're still gonna be here talking about resistance and the mandalorian so don't even worry (laughs) and uh (laughs) then we'll be talking about the rise of skywalker in six thursdays so i know i am like a little beside myself um (laughs) Mm -hmm. but that is gonna wrap up this week's episode if you like what you hear, you can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at SkytalkersPod, where we'll be for at least three to four more Thursdays. Um, you can find us there or on our personal handles at Caitlin Plusher is mine and at Clarity is Charlotte's. We also have our um, website, which is skytalkers.com. We are also already planning for 2020, and I'm really excited about some of the things we have in store. So, uh Make sure that you're following us. And it's not just Sky Talkers Machete revamped and updated. No, 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 no. Charlotte and I had a lot of wine this weekend and a lot of time to talk about the podcast. So just leave that there. Fun things things are coming. And I hope you guys are excited because we are too. But you should follow us on all of our social platforms that you can stay updated with all of those things like our Facebook, our Instagram, our website, and our Twitters like I already mentioned. And if you haven't already and would like to leave us a review, please do so on iTunes. It helps people find our show, makes us smile, and is generally, you know, just putting out good vibes into the universe. So we'll take those good vibes, please. And thank you. (laughs) And if you want more ways to support us, you can also head on over to our Patreon and check out that as well. And I want to say a huge thank you to our amazing patrons. Jason, Kathy, Gee, Jenna, Jessica, Mike, Thomas, Bridget, Shelbo, Joey, James, Kate, Nathan, Sam, Bailey, Eric, Kelly, Neil, Mary, Larry, James, Sarah, Susanna, Z, Cherie, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Courtney, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Suara, Bradley, Edith, Jacqueline, Rachel, Lady Vader, John, Kevin, Josh, Ian, Raz, Lakshana, Candice, Ewan, Tom, Daniel, Heather, Brooklyn, Kimma, Julia, Matthew, Captain Britton, Jackson, Carrie, Jackson, Raphael, David, Ada, Liz, Christian, Nicole, Jonathan, Rachel, Aaron, Brooke, Rebecca, Kathy, I, Rebel, Kimberly, Vundacast Productions, Christian, Adam, Megan, Courtney, Centara, Thomas, John, Megan, Kate, Matthew, Fernanda, Chell, Manny, David, Claudia, Kate, Lady Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed Cheesemaker, Danny, Lumpararoo, Patrick, James, Hammy, Neil, The Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stewart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kels, Chastity, Aliyah, Travis, Katie, Alyssa, Rebecca, Delaney, 
Angela, Allie, Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Molly, Amy, Jared, Claire, Brad, Caitlin, Rebecca, Helly, Scott, BJ, Casey, Lauren, Tom, Kirsty, The Clashing Sabres Podcast, and Chuck. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And as always, until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.